Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my very special guest, all the way from Fidelity National Title, District President Susan West. Thank you for having me, and you got that right. Thank I got it all right. So yeah, I kept on wanting to call her Divisional President. That would have been a promotion. Like, that would have been hey. You know what? Let's throw it out there. JC, who typically sits in that hot seat, mm -hmm. right? He's the producer. He's the co-host. Right. Whenever we have someone special like you come on, JC unfortunately gets ejected out of the out of the hot seat, and we, our guest gets to sit in it. Right. He's a big believer. If you put stuff out in the universe, it mm -hmm. happens. So I know you're currently district president, but hey, folks from Fidelity, if you're tuned in, which you should be, yes. Divisional president sounds good. Absolutely. Especially after you've been with the company for 28 years. 28 years. 28 in April years. this month. Was this your first and only job? No. Oh, you're good. You are good. No, I'm, I'm being dead serious. No, I worked in lending. I ran a closing, well, I started as a teller, a bank teller. And then I ran a closing, post-closing, delivery to secondary market department um, for a bank. Okay. Yes. And then you somehow transitioned to title. Did you start as a sales rep? How yes, absolutely, I okay. did. So your, I, your personality alone would be like, sales rep, let's get this lady. Plus, if you started in lending, yes, and title companies tend to call on lenders as well as realtors. You are brilliant. Right? So it would just, that's where I would have put you, mm -hmm. right? That would have been the box. Hey, let's go ahead and recruit Susan West out of this bank, and let's have her go call on realtors and lenders on our behalf. Um, and that's how you got started in the title business. Yes, you must have been there somehow, although you're much younger than I am. So. I, I was there. Yes. yes. Uh, I was definitely there. I had my Walkman on. I uh, just got done playing the Atari. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, good. Somehow, some way, I was there in spirit. But we're going to put it out there. Possibly future Division, dis divisional, divisional, divisional yeah, president. Division. Right now, district. Um, and I got to give you a little bit of shit here. Okay. <laughs> you made me shave two days in a row. Right, I know. Yeah, life yeah. life came up. We were supposed to do this yesterday. Mm -hmm. Life came up. You shot me a message. You called me. Very grateful for that. And you're like, hey, um, can we maybe push this a day? And thank goodness my, my today is like wide open. That's good. Like this is the day because my tomorrow's crazy. My Tuesday was crazy. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But I'm like, I'm going to give her some crap because I tend to be... You're a little lazy with the razor. Maybe somebody told me that. Yo, maybe did they? Maybe this was yeah. all planned. Yeah, so you made me dress up twice. Yes. Twice in a row. Maybe somebody told me that too. Did they? That you need to dress up more often and shave more often. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that, I typically don't get that. Now, I have some business partners on the on the mortgage company side mm -hmm. that you could say that about. Gotcha. Right, not naming names, Mike Smalley. Um, but uh, typically, no. Typically, I, I do like to put on my work uniform. That's good. I talk a lot about that. Like, I talk about when I go and ride horses, I have a uniform for that. Mm -hmm. When I go and do a, a, a lake swim, I have a certain uniform for that. I saw that. Yeah, wasn't that pretty cool? Impressive. Yes. Yes, and, and and for inquiring minds, yes, I do wear a speedo when I do those um, do those lake swims. My buddy from high school is like giving me crap on social. Where's the pick with the speedo? I'm like, uh, I'm the guy who wears like my sh my shorts over yes. my speedo. Yeah. Then I get in the water. As soon as I get out, I tend to find my shorts pretty quickly. And no, dad, my dad was asking me this. I'm not. I haven't graduated to where I'm wearing like the bikini men's right. speedo. Yeah. No, mine's more like Nike Pro. I'm trying hard not to envision any what? of this. Hey, if you swim enough, I promise you this. You want to be in the right clothing. Right. Because it's just not comfortable. Do you shave your to, legs? No. Okay, some of the swimmers shave their legs? No, no, I'm not good. No, 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 I'm a hack. I just happened to basically be able to, I was able to survive. 
yeah. swimming across a lake a couple times That's in amazing. open water. Yeah. I didn't say I looked good at it. I didn't say I was fast at it. I didn't say there weren't times that I was bobbing up and down in the water, mm-hmm. trying to adjust my goggles because I have lake water in my in my yeah. eyes, and I'm trying not to suck in. Let me say this, Dustin. Sometimes showing up makes you a winner. I've done some hikes in New Hampshire, three-day hikes Ooh. with groups of 12, and you get there, and sometimes, you know, I'm at the back of the pack. And there's some real self-talk that goes on there, which is, I showed up. There are some people that won't train. There are some people that won't get on the plane. There are some people that won't even do this. And I'm hiking in the mountains. It doesn't matter if I'm 12 of 12, if I'm 10 of 12, if I'm 1 of 12. I showed up. So No, you, I love that. Yeah, you jumped so, in the water. Well, no, I yeah. And by the way, hiking is something it's that... hard. Yeah, I'm trying to get into that. Yeah. I'm trying to get, like, I had my hardest time wrapping my head around hiking because mm-hmm. I'm like, who wants to just for fun go and, like, walk? Yeah. And then I switched my mindset from I'm not doing this for fun. I'm doing this for exercise. But then what I realized is when I flipped my mindset that I'm going to go hike for exercise, it was my more enjoyable exercise. Right. And then I liked the challenge. And like you said, you, you've gone on three-day hikes. Three-day hikes, full backpack. I've done it three different ways. My son, um, who turned I have four children, as you know. The Marine? Yeah, not the Marine. Okay. Actually, the Marine's like, I'm not hiking with you. I did the Marines. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so he's not interested unless it's fun. Uh, but my son, when he graduated from high school, his a, a friend and I took both of our sons for a three-day full backpack bear bags where literally you have to put anything that smells up in the tree, everything in the woods. Um, And we did three days and it's brutal and it's character building and you learn so much about yourself. Um, You get a sore ankle, it impacts everything. And you learn, I learned about myself and we can talk about title, that I'm not a trailblazer. I'm not a trailblazer. I'm not out inventing something first as a rule. I am much better at paying attention to what's happening in the market, paying attention to what's happening with the industry and making it better. So that's what I have built my career on. And when I hike, I like to walk behind somebody. I like to pay attention to their steps and I can improve their steps. I know that if I make too large of a step, it impacts my larger muscles, which impacts my breathing. I have asthma. So where someone in front of me might make one big step, I make three little steps. Someone might walk on a rock that's loose. I don't walk on that rock. So my point is in title, I pay attention to everything around me, the investors, the foreclosures, the lenders, the realtors, everything, and figure out how to perfect what everybody else is doing. All right, so this is a perfect segue. But yes. before we segue into title, which by the way, demystifying title, this is what I, I want to get into, what does a title company do? As a home seller, why does it matter? As a home buyer, why does it matter? If I'm a lender, why does it matter? Right, and, and some of the things we're gonna talk about are based on questions that we received from viewers. Right. Or listeners, and, and that's, you know, I reached out to you because one of our viewers said, hey, I have questions regarding title. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I could try to answer that, or, I could reach out to someone like Susan, have her come on, and you can answer it as the subject matter expert. Right. But the hiking, we'll go off camera. I want to learn more about hiking, and I really love how you could probably teach a whole entire lesson on the life lessons learned from a three-day hike 
in the business lessons learned right. and how they all tie together. They do. Although we don't, we're not Joe Rogan yet. You know, Joe Rogan, his podcast can be two to three hours long. Right. We try to keep ours at 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So um, I think kudos, like high five. That's really awesome. I would love to deep dive deeper into that. Maybe we'll have you back in a few months mm -hmm. and we can do a show. Bring not my hiking boots. We should wear hiking boots. I'm, I'm going to be out in Denver next month and mm -hmm. I'm going to go on, on a hike. I'll wear my hiking clothes. Um, you wear your hiking clothes and then we'll do all about how adventure sports leads to character building, which leads to becoming better business professionals. I'm in. Right. Because your job as the district president, I'm assuming you probably manage sales professionals. Yes. You probably know a lot about sales tips, what it takes to be successful in business. Absolutely. So I'm managing both sides. I manage the operation and sales. Jesse okay. Crandall, as you know, has recently been promoted and she's now the director of sales and marketing. So I have a team. I have Ashley Scipioni who runs the operations. Jesse runs the sales side, but I get to influence. That's what I love. So we talk about my banking experience. I understand operations. I was recruited into sales. I understand sales. And to have a mind for both of those is, has been immensely impactful in our district. I'm able to see both sides. I can see a salesperson and what they need, but I understand how hard an escrow person works. That's what we call them in our, in our side of the business to get the job done. And making those two mesh and understand each other really propels people forward. I could not agree more. Um, probably one of the most understated aspects that I have in the on the mortgage business that I'm a part of at Waterstone Mortgage is there's three of us that that have partnered together and we've grown our region to what we've grown it. And I've had Mike Smalley on this podcast twice now. He's a mega producer. He's one of my business partners. But what people don't get to see, the understated uh, value is David Holbrook. Right. And people are like, well, who's David? Well, David is basically the VP of operations. Right. He has 250 to 300 files every single month that he has to make sure close and close on time with a wonderful customer experience. But what makes David so unique and so special he used to be a top producer. Right. He was a top producing loan officer first before he ever became an operations manager and then started running an operations uh, team at the magnitude that he does. Right. Very similar to what, what you said makes you so unique is the fact you're like, look, I know how to sell. I know what it's like to be down in the trenches. Right. But I also know operations. Right. So when you're leading your organization, you can do that. We should table that and just do a whole entire episode, not even about title. Right. Just about business, just right. about uh, how to properly, from a mindset standpoint to a goal standpoint, um, have a career like yours. Right, run a business. Yes, but what I want to do now is I want to pick your brain. Okay. Okay, that big brain of yours with going on three decades of experience. Yes. Let's kind of get down granular. What is title? What is a title company? What do they do? If I'm a lender, this was the actual question, if I'm a lender... What do I need to know about title? Title. Well, what you need to know, and I'm going to speak if you're a lender and if you're a seller and a buyer. Let's Please just lump do. it all yep. in together. Yep. So title companies, title mm -hmm. insurance, we do two things. One, we have an escrow responsibility, which I would suggest to you is our fiduciary responsibility to handle the funds and manage the file. Okay. okay. So if you're a home buyer and you're buying my house from me, I'm going to want a security deposit. You guys call that a escrow deposit. Escrow deposit. Yes. And it's typically 1% to 2% of the contract price. If you're down in South Florida, it could be like 10% mm -hmm. of the contract price, especially in today's market. Right. And instead of you giving that money to me, 
the seller, because who knows, I may like run off to Vegas and put it all on the craps table on the yo. Uh, you give it to Susan, or uh, not Susan, but Fidelity, to, National, but to title. Fidelity National Title. You guys hold that, and the term is called in escrow. Right, and we hold it in our escrow account because title companies have two accounts. They have an escrow account, and that is our customers' money. Okay. And then we have, and that is customers' money, lenders' money specific to a transaction. And then we have an operating account, and that's our own money. Okay. Okay. So there is no co-mingling between those two accounts, one, and there's no co-mingling between transactions. So in other words, your buyer sends us a $5,000 deposit. And by the way, we have very secure vehicles in which they can send that money to us, and that's important. The communication that happens between a title company and a buyer is significant where confidential and transfer of money conversations okay. happen, okay? But we take that $5,000, and that is attached to your contract, your property, and can be used for nothing else but that. So that's important for you to understand. Yep, so no one that's representing the buyer per se is holding that money. Well, we do still have some real estate offices that will hold the money okay. because they have escrow accounts, okay. and that's an acceptable practice. And every now and then, with the for sale by owner, maybe the seller will hold that money. Okay. So we do see that, but more regularly, we see the title company holding the money. And we have a requirement that we won't release. And again, back to your example, Dustin, you're the seller, you have a buyer. We won't release that $5,000 deposit until if, if the deal cancels until both of you sign and agree on who the money gets released to. So we also are not representing buyer or seller. We're representing the transaction legally. So we are handling the money side, and then we're handing, handling the title side. And both of those roles um, happen all at the same time. So at the same time that we're accepting the contract and we're accepting the escrow money deposit in, and we're receiving that, by the way, and communicating with everyone we've received that, we're also ordering what's called a title search. Okay, let's get into that. What? Because I want to know, what does a title company do? I know that when I buy or sell real estate, either a closing attorney or a title company, or sometimes both, depending on the state I'm in, mm -hmm. are involved. Right. But I don't know what you guys do besides charge me money. Like, right. I know that as a buyer and a seller, I'm paying the title company. But like, what are you doing? What does the title search do and why is it important? It's important because it's required in order to issue a title policy. And we are a title insurance policy issuer. So in order to issue the policy, we have to have a 30-year search. So we take the contract and the information off of it and we order from the legal description and so we do a geographic search based on the legal description, and we also do a name search, okay? And we're searching back 30 years, we're searching what's called the chain of title. So we have a title plant, I call it a research facility, okay. because that sounds, you know, yeah. a little more glamorous, right? Uh, but that's what they're doing, they're doing research, and they're searching the public records through several vehicles to determine what we call the chain of title. And we have to search back 30 years to a root-based deed in order for the title insurance that we issue to the buyer and to the lender for it to be considered marketable title. Pause a moment there. We're issuing the buyer and owner's title policy, and we're issuing the lender a lender's policy, mortgagee policy. And you'll also hear the uh, term simultaneous issue on a purchase we're issuing them at the same time. Yeah, simultaneous is right. what it means, at the same time. Exactly. But um, for anyone tuning in who may be new to all of this, which by the way, home sellers and home buyers, I think are always new. Even right. if you've bought and sold three properties in your lifetime, you're probably not doing it every week or every month. Right. Or five times a day, you know, like, right. so you're not an expert at it. 
a title search is extremely important because I'm guessing that I don't want to buy something that when I think I quote unquote own it, I really don't. Right. Someone else has ownership interest, maybe through a judgment or a lien. And that's what the title search is looking for. They're looking for, before I go and spend a quarter million, a half a million, a million freaking dollars right. to purchase something, the largest purchase transaction of my life, more than likely, that I'm the sole owner, right? That's what the search is looking for. The search is looking to make sure I will be the sole owner. Right, absolutely. And let's pause there a minute too. I want to say also the one thing that we always have to remember, and this isn't correcting you, this is just reminding our viewers. No, please correct me. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's why you're here. No, but I but that purchase could be an eighty thousand dollar first time home, $150,000. No matter the dollar amount we I remember the people that work on my team regularly. Mm-hmm. Whatever the dollar amount this is somebody's dream. Yeah. Whether it's investor, whether it's a first-time home buyer, no matter what, we have to treat them the same, right? Yes. Because it's someone's dream, right? Well, not only that, but yeah, to to your point, $80,000 is still a lot of freaking money. Absolutely. Like how many people do you know that have 80 grand sitting around? I don't know many. Exactly. You know, like, so that's a lot of money. If you came and took $80,000 from me, assuming I had it, uh, that's like we're going to war, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so. so title search, yes, yes. We are looking back and we are determining over the last 30 years the exchange of chain of title of interest. So Mr. and Mrs. Jones own the property and they sell the word we use. And by the way, a contract sells a property, a deed conveys a property. So Mr. Jones and Mrs. Jones convey their property to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We'll just keep it simple, right? When they did that conveyance through a warranty deed, we're looking at, was it the correct warranty deed? Was the formality of the deed correct? In other words, were there two witnesses and a notary? Does Mr. or do Mr. and Mrs. Smith's signatures look like the same signatures that were on the mortgage that they um, they took out when they bought the property. So are we dealing with the same people? Is the formality of the document correctly? Are their um, names correct as sellers? Everything on that deed from 30 years ago is, and by the way, I use the word search. We have a searcher and then we have an examiner. So the searcher pulls all the documentation and then an experienced examiner reviews the documentation to make sure, again, everything about that deed is correct. If Mr. and Mrs. Smith took out a mortgage, was that mortgage satisfied? Is the satisfaction of record? If a power of attorney was used somewhere in the chain of title from deed to deed to deed, was the power of attorney correct? Was the formality correct? Uh, Did it have the correct verbiage in it? So God bless those people who do it. Right. That sounds mind-numbingly painful to me. They are head down, pay attention to detail people. But now... When, when I stroke whatever that, that closing fee is, I now know it's well worth it. Yes. It's, I don't care if it's $300 or $700. Like, yes, okay. Let's talk about Let's, a, an REO, uh, real estate owned, a foreclosure in the back chain. The foreclosure records have to be open to make opened to make certain that the attorney that handled the foreclosure extinguished everyone's interest. So I'm going to pause you real quick. That is, if I'm buying a house... That at one point, by the way, was foreclosed on, which if you're living in most states, that could have been as many as one in 10. Right. Just eight, nine, 10 years ago, that home went through some form of a foreclosure proceeding, even if you're not buying it directly from the bank today. Absolutely. Over the past 30 years, you just taught me, you have to go back and look. 
And your search and your exam have to make sure that it was foreclosed on properly. Yes. And I'll say this. I'll add this to this. There are statutes and there are also policies in our company that maybe if the foreclosure was 30 years ago or 10 years ago, they don't reopen it. Okay. But they have to also know how old is the foreclosure when we don't open it and how old is it when we do open it. But again, part of, and you think about what, 9, 10, 11, 2009, when all of those foreclosures were happening, now think about title in 13, 14, and 15. We were opening those foreclosures, and a lot of them were not done correctly, uh, and people's interests were not extinguished, and that's an issue. So as a home buyer, this is all my CYA. Absolutely. This is all cover my booty. Right. Right. Put input your favorite A word, ladies and gentlemen, arse or ass, it doesn't matter. But CYA, I need the title company to step in and do this. And to ensure that I really own the property and that everyone else's interest has been extinguished. And you know what? The seller needs that too. And the seller needs that because now no one's going to come back to the seller. Very, I was getting ready to ask you that. Do I care as a seller? Because yes. hey, I got paid. You got the house. Peace out, homie. No. You no, do care. You do because care. Am I still legally liable Uh, or could I be legally liable? Could someone come back to me and say, Mr. Owen, you sold us a property that you didn't have full ownership of. Yes. You owe us X dollars. Not necessarily if you as a seller got received title insurance. So you have a title insurance policy as a seller from when you, but okay. Right. Okay. Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe you don't. Let's, let's jump into title insurance. Because you talked about title exams, you talked about about title searches, but then you mentioned owner's policy, lender's policy, you used the word about simultaneous issue. What if I'm like, Susan, bump that. I don't want to pay for an owner's title insurance policy, which in Florida on a $300,000 property could be like $1,600. Right. I don't need that. What would you say to me? I would say to you, this is why you do need it, Dustin. Okay, why do I need owner's title policy, and why is my lender adamant that there's a lender's policy? Because they need it too. So we're insuring the lender, by the way, of their lien priority. So if there is an issue in the back chain of title that the lender needs our coverage and you, Dustin, don't have owner's title insurance, the lender's loan gets taken care of. And let's just say it's a full loss, right? And the lender's um, files a complaint and complaint a claim and they are correct and we have to pay off that loan. Okay. You still have a title ownership problem. So let's so say So I don't own the home is what you're saying. I thought I owned the if home. If it's full claim, right? It, it, potentially you don't. So we're not talking about what the problem is, but if there's a problem that is full if there's title a problem, failure, yo, I'll solve it. That was yeah. vanilla ice oh. circa 1991. Well, you are cooler than I am. Yeah. That is clear. <laughs> if there's full title failure, yeah. And the lender's coverage needs to be paid by the title insurer and you have zero coverage, you still have full title failure. So a tie down for anyone tuned in and listening, title insurance protects your rear end, your lender's rear end, just in case those examiners and those searchers missed something. Missed something or there was fraud. Oh, the so F word. So we had a word. transaction a couple years ago in Lake Nona. Okay. And it was- Which a, uh, anyone tuning in outside of the greater Orlando area, Lake Nona is an up and coming area south east in Orlando, um, lots of professional golfers live down there. And east of the airport is, is a, a good way to say okay, it as well. Okay, yep, yep, yep. So Orlando International Airport. If you come to Disney, that's where you flew into. This is the, the ritzy upscale neighborhood or area 
just east of the airport. Absolutely. Okay. So fraud issue in Lake Nona, In Lake Florida. Nona. There was a real estate professional that had sold a customer a home. And that customer, through email, reached out and said, I love this condominium, and now I want to sell it again. I want you to be my realtor. And the realtor's like, when? I get to sell an old customer, right? And they went ahead and listed the property, found a buyer. And in this instance, it was about a $200,000 condominium. And in this instance, not always the case, but in this instance, the uh, seller was outside of the country. Okay. And it was a mail away. So we had to mail our papers to the seller. And... I'll just be honest because this is who I am. We had some red flags that we missed as a title insurer too. So there were a couple of things that happened to this transaction that people didn't pay attention to. First of all, the realtor didn't ever speak to their seller. And they only communicated through email, and they didn't realize that the email address that the seller was using was not the same one that they used when they were their buyer. We never confirmed with the realtor that they had been speaking with the seller, so no one spoke with the seller. Okay. When we do the transaction and we get the deed back that the seller signed to convey to the buyer, we got all of their um, documentation, their passport, their ID showing that they proved who they were at closing at the embassy, where they signed, everything was there. We didn't ask any questions. It was a brand new passport. We should have asked why the passport was new. We didn't ask that question, okay? Next, if we had looked on social media, we would have seen that the picture on the passport was the social media picture. That would have been a red flag as well. And then the country, which I won't name, that they wanted us to send the money to was a different place than where they were. And it's, um, so anyway, we, we should have caught that. We didn't. We close, we disperse, everybody gets their money. And about, I don't know, four months later, I get a call from the real owner. And by the way, the buyer was so excited about buying this condo, they renovated the kitchen. So they put about 12 grand into the kitchen. Yes, they were very excited. So the real owner, you ever like get phone calls, you remember exactly where you were sitting? Yes. And I literally put them on hold and I looked at my escrow administrator, John. I said, John, I hope this guy's the liar. Like, I hope he's the criminal, not our seller that signed. He was the owner of the property, and we conveyed his property through a forgery, a fraudulent signature. Was there at least an owner's title insurance policy? Well, yes, which benefited the owner, which that's what we do. So we bought that property back from the owner Mm. because the seller... So the buyer. So yes. I said, yeah. okay. Yeah, sorry. the owner. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the new buyer. Yeah. So we issued the new buyer an owner's title insurance policy for $200,000, the purchase price. Yep. And the seller, the true owner, wanted his condo back. So one of two things can happen in that scenario. The, uh, the true owner says, okay, I'll let the new buyer keep it. Title company, title insurer, you pay me. So then you would we would pay the true owner the proceeds that he was owed. We'd pay off his loan. You okay. know, we'd take care yep. of him just like he was in a closing. In this particular instance, he wanted his property back. Okay. So this gentleman, although he was unhappy that this happened, he loved the renovated kitchen that he received for free. Okay. You with me, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So seller gets yeah. his condo back yeah, with because, the renovated kitchen. Yeah, because the person who bought it through the fraudulent seller, yes, they got their money back, but they didn't get the 12 grand that they, they dropped did. in. Nope. We had to pay that too. Oh, wow. We had to pay that too. Okay. To pay that too. Hey, but that's that's why that's it's title there. Insurance. Yeah, that that's, that's why it's insurance. there. I love you sharing that story because that's a real life story right. that happened in our backyard just a couple years ago. Like 
ladies and gentlemen, people tuned in, this stuff happens. Right. So we, the owner, we first we paid off his loan, mm-hmm. right? Because the lender had a lender policy. Yeah. So we paid off his loan. Then the owner received their equity, their closing costs, everything that they had paid. And then they also received the amount of money that they put into the renovation. That's title insurance at its finest. Wow. Right? That That's, and what a great story. Like, this is why you need title companies. This is why you need owner's title insurance. It's interesting. I remember being a rookie in this business back in like 04, 05. And it, I learned through client communication that people from the Northeast don't necessarily get owner's title. Right. And I would be grilled. Why do I need owner's title? Why do I need? And I didn't have a story like this to, to, to lean right. on. All I could tell people is like, hey, according to my friends in title, you're buying a home in Florida and Florida is one of the highest states, highest ranked state, not in a good way. Right. Right. Uh, when it comes to either fraud or it comes to title defects. And some of it, Dustin, is just people not knowing. Yeah. You know, people not knowing. We talk about it gives the owner the security. But back in the day before title insurance, a seller might really think they own the property but they don't know the history of the property or what happened. And we have a lot of issues with heirs and a lot of issue with probate. Is probate necessary or is probate not necessary? Did the property by natural vesting, in other words, husband and wife are entitled, when husband dies, wife automatically owns the property. We just need a death certificate. We might need an affidavit or two. So what happens naturally by vesting when somebody passes away, right? What happens when there's a divorce? When there's a divorce, there still has to be, even if both spouses didn't own the property, there still has to be conveyance of homestead rights if it's primary residence. So, so many things that extinguish interest have to happen or somebody can raise their hand and say, I'm owed money on this property. I had an interest. And as a new owner, you don't want them raising their hand to you. We do the name search because there are creditors' judgments. There may be credit creditors that someone doesn't pay because... No way. There's people out there who don't pay their bills? Exactly. Some types of creditors can, if they file the judgment correctly, and our examiners know all the details of a correctly filed judgment, creditor's judgment, in the right county that's filed the correct way, can end up being a lien against the property. It also has to do with how people own the property. Again, are they married? Is it primary residence? Child support's a big one. There can be child support owed, a child support judgment out there that needs to be taken care of before someone can sell their home. Sometimes the divorce has happened, right? Uh, But the owners, uh, maybe it's still just the the wife or the husband, whichever one, but a child support judgment shows up before they can sell. We have to work that out. We have to figure out. And now the state's involved, right? Because it's a judgment. So this is just, I mean, all of a sudden I'm like getting anxiety. Right. Thinking, okay, if and when I go to sell my home, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm represented so that there's someone protecting me as a seller, but also the buyer buying the home. Um, yeah, mind blown. Like I just, uh, you're talking divorce. You're talking about, you know, granddad and granny passed away a hundred years ago. They bequeathed these 17 acres to to their two two daughters, but now two daughters have passed away and they bequeathed it to their children. Yet somewhere along the line, someone didn't sign the right document. Right. Somewhere along the line, someone thought they had the right to sell, but they didn't get so and so to sign off on the sale. Now my home builders come into those 17 acres and put 40 homes on it, which I own one of those homes. 
And if the proper title work wasn't done or there wasn't a proper tracking of the chain of title, right. you may come to me and say, hey, Mr. Owen, I know you're one of 40 homeowners in this community, but technically, you know, this Peter Smith guy, yeah, he still has a, a land interest. Right, you're like, exactly. well, what am I talking about? And it's not only the, you know, the heirs, and, but it's also, as I said before, Dustin, was the document signed correctly? Was it notarized correctly? We have, um, whether it be Canada, for instance, uh, you might have one title company that says, oh, an attorney in Canada can sign, can notarize. Uh, our position might be different in Canada because of the, the statutes that we have here in Florida and, and what exactly makes someone a notary that then is be able is able to sign and notarize that deed to make it actually convey so um, a notary that's not a notary but maybe considered a notary in their country or their place um, might not be a notary that's considered a notary in the state of Florida I didn't say that as well as I should have but I think yeah. maybe you caught it um, but no here's here's what I'm getting from it this is really important stuff right. and if I'm buying a home selling a home I'm a realtor or a lender I need to have a very good relationship right. with my title companies, with my local title companies, preferably, um, because I, what is something I want to get into, uh, if time permits, is how a lender or a realtor should be partnering with their local representatives. I mean, you work for a national company, but you have a local presence. Right. That's how you and I know each other. That's how That's I know it. Jesse, right? It's like mm -hmm. we have a local uh, uh, flair and a relationship because of it, even though you are a national company. Um, well, I, and I'll say this, if yeah. you look at our national website, we have autonomy and entrepreneurship, bias for action, minimal bureaucracy. Those are the things that Fidelity National Title, Fidelity National Financial was built on. Those are our precepts. Those are three of our precepts. Uh, I could list the yeah. other three, but we'll move past that. But my point is, I get the privilege of running 20 operations as if they were my own business. They are all separate businesses that roll up to one, that roll up to us. And we have a fiduciary responsibility, not only to our clients, to our insureds, to our sellers, but also to our shareholders. Yes. So we get to run each one of these offices in their local community for their local community, but we have the financial backing of a Fortune 400 company, strongest in the nation with both market share and financially. So those are things we could talk all day long about things like wire fraud and what happens if there's wire fraud and what happens if the title company had the money and was not the one that, um, not our business, our, our email in our world because we're so powerful and work so hard to make sure that we have the firewalls and all the technolo technology we need to make sure people can't get in. Even if it's not our email that's compromised, if we had the money and we sent it to the wrong seller or the wrong bank account because that's what wire fraud mm -hmm. is it's the diversion of money from where it's supposed to go to a criminal's account right if we have the money and it goes to a criminal account even if our email wasn't compromised what's our fiduciary responsibility what's our financial strength strength and how quickly will we respond to make sure the seller who deserves that money who that money belongs to gets the money I have a story about that too. Three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars worth of a story. Yeah, which you working for the type of company you work for, the size company you work for. Yeah, it sucks that it happened, but you a guys, quote, you quote. guys did the right thing for. And and I'm assuming it 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 sucked. It happened, but no one got hurt. Whereas maybe if I didn't partner with a title company that had that type of backing, 
I might not be able to say the same thing. My boss said to me, quote, unquote, and I might have had some tears in my eyes yeah, on this yeah. one because I had coached and mentored red flags and what mm -hmm. to watch for, but our people are also human. Yes, yeah. So $365,000 got diverted from where it was supposed to go to the seller's account to a criminal's account. And I called my boss. I actually had to pick my boss up from the airport that morning and might have had a tear or two because I felt so responsible. And he looked at me and said, Susan, $365,000 is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. Do the right thing, which I intended to do the right thing anyway. But to have somebody working for, and by the way, he's a divisional okay. of our company. And to have him back me that way and to know within five business days, I handed that seller a check. So was there a delay? Absolutely. But there wasn't any, is this our responsibility? Do we need to get with our insurance? It was, a, this is our responsibility. We will get you your money. And I handed him in my office, that seller, his money. And I've heard of other title companies just really arguing the point and taking three weeks to Not a month. Not my fault. It's your fault. Right. Or yeah. I have to, you know, so again, that is one of the main things that I will say about working for a Fortune 400 company that allows me to run this operation as it is my own business and do the right thing. Now, there are other times that there are claims that come. I have one yesterday. We didn't do anything wrong. I spoke with this gentleman. He's getting an attorney. And I just said to him very nicely, I need you to know that in the event we owe money through a claim that you're going to submit, we will stand by that, and I have no problem with that. But I think you might be wrong, and I don't think you have uh, a claim that will be something that we will end up needing to pay because I don't think our insurance covers what you want. But with that being said, I will connect you with our attorneys. So there are times that there's not a win. There's other times when you talk about as a seller, if you don't have a policy, obviously you have an issue if when you're selling, you, you know, there's something discovered. But sometimes you might have a policy uh, and the house, the home has appreciated and we really have to stop to analyze how do we solve this problem in the back chain of title. It's a lot of work. So it isn't always just a one, two, three, just make this go away. We have to resolve and sometimes if there's a back chain issue, it's what we call with undertaking, meaning that the documents have to be corrected, which means we have to find the heirs, we have to get, imagine this, Dustin, finding somebody that's been foreclosed on and asking them, could you come back yeah. and sign a paper, right? Not fun. Not you've, fun. You've sold me on the requirement of why we use title companies. Right. Title exams, title searches, why it needs to be insured, why you need to work for a company that that is has the fiduciary responsibility taken serious, and they actually have the financial backing that they can do the right thing always. Right. What I want to hit on now is I want to make sure that we're hitting on the the viewer request. Right. Okay. If if we can, real quick, um, the the actual question, and maybe you and I can spitball this back and forth. It was as a lender, what do you look for? on a title policy. And I want you to think about that. And I'm going to answer the listener with what my answer would have been. Right. As a lender, as someone who's been in the business for almost 20 years, who has helped over 1,000 families purchase or refinance their home, I, Dustin Owen, have never one time looked at a title policy. Not once. Why? Because where I work, that's my processor's role. Right. So because I didn't know the answer, I went and I asked two of my favorite processors and I said, Hey, Tammy, Hey, Shirley, what do you all look for 
when we as a lender have to request title title company sends in the the title commitment mm -hmm. and um for the for the the lady who asked this question we don't really look for a whole lot as a loan officer as a processor working at a mortgage company we don't look for a whole lot because ultimately we know that if the title company is not willing to issue an owner's policy and a simultaneous issued lender's policy we're not closing right so honestly, for the loan officers who are listening in, A, if you're a loan officer who's ordering title on your own, maybe you second guess your process because your job is to sell. Your job is to get out there and consult with the next person looking to refinance or buy a property. Your job shouldn't be ordering title, collecting title, and reviewing title. You should have someone on your team, such as a mortgage processor, who does that for you. Right. And then when I talk to a mortgage processor, there's not a whole lot because we know as a lender, we are only going to close on a property, at which point we're going to have a lender's title policy. And I trust you, the title company, that you're not going to issue it to me unless title's clean. Well, our commitment is something that a processor, and some companies it's the closer that looks at it, right? Uh, but it's going to have exceptions and requirements on there. And the exceptions on a title commitment are what we're saying we are, will ensure we are committing to insure you as a lender for $250,000, which is your loan amount, right? Okay. We're committing to insure you as an owner for $350,000. That's your purchase price. And the things that we need to do is we need to have a deed conveyed from Mr. and Mrs. Smith to Mr. and Mrs. Jones, right? Um, Mr. and Mrs. Jones are getting a mortgage from, okay? Waterstone so, right, Mortgage exactly. Corporation. Exactly. So we're going to have that yep. on there as well. So those are the things, the documents that are going to be prepared. And then there might be uh, Mr. Smith, seller, right, owner, uh, took out a loan to Bank of America. And we need to get a payoff and satisfy. And it will show the recordation of the mortgage that Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the sellers, the owners, took out when they purchased the property. So there'll be a satisfaction requirement. Maybe there's a continuous marriage affidavit that's required because there's a judgment that shows up against Mr. or Mrs. Smith, not both of them. And if they're continually married, we have to get an affidavit. So that takes care of that problem. But when I order title... I'm a lender right now, right? This is for the, the, the loan officers and the lenders, the processors and underwriters who tune into this show. I order title from you. What do you send me? A title commitment. A title commitment. What should I be looking for on that title commitment? Are there any ahas that I should be reviewing? Because ultimately, as a mortgage loan officer, if you're doing it on your end, which my advice to you as I coach you is don't. Right. Have, an, have a process to do that on your behalf. You want to look at the schedules. You want to look at the exceptions. You want to the look exceptions. at the exceptions. The exceptions, right. Okay. And then the, the things that you can or can't look at the requirements, the things that we need to do to get rid of those, delete those exceptions is what we call it. So in other words, we'll delete um, the satisfaction, the payoff exception, when we get the estoppel from Bank of America and on our closing statement, we pay them off. So then we literally handwrite on the commitment. Now I think we do it through the computer system. The get delete the exception. So if there but is- But I don't see that as a lender when I'm ordering that title from you. Like I, Yes, I, your, your processors do see, they, they okay. see that. They see that on the commitment. They see what exceptions. And by the way, with the continuous marriage affidavit, that's something that we do to remove a creditor's judgment. So on the commitment, your processors see the items against the property taxes are owed. Well, what do we have to do to the taxes owed? On the settlement statement, we have to collect the taxes. Yeah, and those are pretty simple things. I, I think the question was more, are there any ahas that I should be looking for? Any gotchas? Well, anything that's not 
standard things, you know, okay. any things that aren't normal. So, for instance, taxes, we can take care of taxes. That's pretty easy. On the settlement Mortgages statement. are easy, now, titles. and AHA might be if there's five years of taxes. Well, there wouldn't be five because the So let's say there's two years of taxes, you know, making sure, just asking the question, you know, if you want to go above and beyond, seller has proceeds, right, to cover those taxes. We're not going to have a problem with, I see that there's, you know, $10,000 worth of taxes. A special assessment might show up. We have to take a look then at the contract to decide um, was the special assessment covered in the contract or is the seller going to pay it in its entirety um, before he closes? Is the seller going to pay only the portion that he owes? And you would see a special assessment typically on a condo. Uh, condo, but sometimes in a in a subdivision, maybe okay. they've redone the roads or something. So it just and then there's CD. So there's so many things. So again, your takeaway here today is if there's anything out of the ordinary, your processors should be saying to the title company, "Tell I see seven things listed here." Don't necessarily need to know what they all mean or what you're doing about them, title company, but can they all be resolved and taken care of in order for you to issue us a clean policy? And can it get done in the timeline that we need to be able to close? Yeah, right. I mean, I think that was um, when I talked to a seasoned processor, they'll they'll tell me, you know, I didn't really look at them at first. And then one time I got burned. Right. So I asked, okay, well, you got burned. What does that mean? And, and the, the real answer from a mortgage processor is, well, it was nothing I could have done to prevent or make the sale happen. But what I could have done is I could have properly prepared the buyer Absolutely. that something looks a little bit sideways and we need to figure out, is this going to jeopardize your plans, right? Because right. a mortgage processor isn't going to be able to go clear those liens, right? And they're not going to maybe even know how to. But if they can see that something looks off, it's just another set of eyes that's catching this two, three, or even four weeks before closing. Absolutely. And then at point, do you need to extend the rate lock? Does the home buyer need to go find temporary housing because maybe they already gave their their notice to their landlord? Right. Yeah. Or, you know. So there's. So it's about I, the power of knowledge. Yes. Right. Knowledge, communication of that knowledge creates expectations, which breeds success. So. The the it, whoever's looking at the title policy, whoever's ordering it and looking at, at, at the, the commitment, the commitment, yes. look at them, read them and look for things that are out of the ordinary. You're not going to prevent the out of the ordinary from like being on there and you're probably not going to be able to fix it. But you can at least start having the right conversation with the, the seller, title, the, the title company first. Yep. And then with your client, which would be your borrower, yep. the buyer. And let's say, again, Sally Smith is the seller. Mr. and Mrs. Jones is the are the buyers. And on the commitment, we have to explain to Sally that I'm so sorry, even though your husband that you are estranged from has never lived in this property and he's not entitled, I still need him to sign. Let's say she hasn't seen him in 10 years. We this happens, to, by the way. We still need to find him. Yeah. So again, in that moment, it's you, your processing team, surely communicating with the loan officer, the loan officer communicating with Mr. and Mrs. Jones that we still have 30 days till close, but there is work being done to locate, you know, and, and again, it, it really comes down to who, how much you want to share, when's the right time to share, when do you not worry about it, but communication to understand and as simple as your processor being able to look and see the normal things, a payoff, right, um, homeowners association, taxes, 
and being able to see, how, there's a couple extra things. Title company, talk to me. Yeah. Any of these things going to be a problem. And the title company's job, and this is what I feel like um, a little unnerved today talking to you because I think I like start going down these rabbit holes. There's so much information. So I apologize no, if no. I started too many conversations and stopped them. I love it. I promise you, because my head is doing this, people's heads are freaking spinning. It's like the exorcist right now. Zoom, 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 zoom. I love it. That's I. The audience needs to hear that. Whether you're a home seller, a realtor, a home buyer, or a lender, you need to know that this is a very detailed, complex right um, uh, uh, situation. If you want to look at title as a situation, that you need to be partnered with professionals. Right. And this is going to allow me to segue into our, into our last piece before we conclude for the day partnership with title companies. Right. I'm going to say three more things before we Go do ahead that, then. just to make sure everyone yep. understands. The the escrow side of things, um, Dustin, it's important to understand we're also ordering a municipal lien search. That comes through a third-party company. Won't talk about that today, but that's really important for code um, violations, utilities owed. So that's a piece that's Because I don't, I don't want to buy a home that has municipal liens on it. it well, yeah, exactly. 100% you don't want to. Yep. And there's so many things that go into that. We won't talk about that today. We'll, we are also ordering the survey. Title companies care about and we are ensuring legal access to a property. We need to make sure there's legal access from the survey. We also need to make sure the home is properly situated on the property, meaning it's not overlapping or encroaching on the neighbor, utility easements. So a survey is very important. And a survey tells you what your property boundary line is versus your neighbors. Exactly. We order the termite, right, to make sure there's no termites. We um, are also ordering and um, coordinating with your insurance company that insures against hazard, fire, flood in some instances. So those are some of the other things that we are coordinating. Everything gets coordinated through the title company and comes to us. And then finally, title insurance is a type of insurance that we are insuring the past. You talked in the beginning about money, cost, right? Closing mm -hmm. fee, search fee, title insurance, lender's policy, lender's endorsements. All of those are our fees, but they are one-time fees because we are ensuring that everything that has happened in the history of this property that has brought us here today to prepare our deed, your mortgage, the affidavits, everything that's being prepared has happened correctly. So you, Mr. and Mrs. Owner, now own a home with only you having interest. And if you received a loan to buy the home, your lender having interest in their priority being insured. So that's why it's a one-time charge. If you have a car, if you're a viewer, or a home, if you're a viewer, you're buying auto insurance, you're buying homeowner's insurance, that's for future risk. I'm going to pay you now just in case something happens in the future. And I'm going to pay you again next year for the future and next year for the future. Title insurance is one time at closing for the past. I love how you explained that. Thank you. I mean, I've, I think I've known that, but I've never heard it explained so eloquently. And, and this, like this yeah. one too, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. So rapid fire. We have like three and a half minutes left. I'm in. Okay. And I have three questions for you. Okay. And the first one is going to be, as a seller, how do I choose a title company and why? As a realtor, what should I expect out of my title company and why? Right. And as a lender, does it really freaking matter which title company should I be partnered with a title company? And if so, why? Well, as a seller, Fidelity National Title or Chelsea Title, right? Those are both under my leadership in my operations in Central and East Florida and all over Florida, actually. But with that being said, seller, if you've chosen your real estate professional, your realtor wisely, you should lean on them to help you with that decision. 
Okay, why is that? Because a real estate professional, again, assuming the seller has chosen one wisely, uh, not your neighbor just because you like your neighbor, but someone that has the credential that made you choose them because they are a real estate professional. And there is a difference between realtors and real estate professionals. Correct. So choose wisely. And if you've done that, they have the experience to be able to know which title companies are doing a good job, but also have the financial back when there is a problem to do a good job for that too. And oftentimes, real estate professionals will know more than one title company if you as a seller feel you need to have more than one choice. But with that being said, the first step is choose your real estate professional wisely and the title company part of it should be helpful through your realtor. Okay, so I'm a realtor now. Right. Perfect, perfect segue. How... Do I choose a title company and what type of expectations should I have out of my title company? You as a real estate professional should interview your title company and would start with the business development person for your title company. In my world, we talked about Lake Nona and Alyssa Faber um, in Claremont, Garrett Glider. We have several, about 12 of them in all of our operations. Okay. So you start with them. If, if they don't have one, then you would call the branch manager um, in the local, you know, the title company. So in San Lake, I have Allison McConnell. So either a business development person or the branch manager, which is also a closer, and speak to them as a real estate professional and ask them interviewing questions. Okay. You know, what is your process? What is your communication style? What can I expect from you? And here's a tip, real estate professional, deal with a title company that interviews you. Dustin, if this were whether you, you're a lender or if you were a realtor, same thing. I would sit with you and say, Dustin, what do you need from me? What does Shirley and Tammy, what do they need from me? What do they expect? What style of communication? Same with the real estate professional. What is your business model as a realtor? And when I ask them that, now what happens? What do you do when you receive a contract? I tell them who to send it to in my operation, and I can clearly articulate the process in my company. So only deal with a title company that can clearly articulate what happens from the moment the contract comes in through the end and, and who does what. But also somebody that's going to ask you, for instance, a realtor, do you have a transaction coordinator? Do you want me to talk to you, realtor, or do you want me to talk to your TC? Do you want me to talk to you, realtor, or do you want me to talk directly to your seller? So only deal with a title company that is running a business that has a high level of communication, a high level of organization, a high level of experience, and a high level of financial backing. And I'll throw one more in there and it's willing to invest in your success. Absolutely. So last question. I'm a loan officer, which, hey, I am one of those. Right. Why does it matter to me to have partnerships with title companies? I think that, one, you partner, and when you have quality service and quality communication, and so does the title company, that benefits both realtors in the transaction, which creates, for one, that transaction to go well, which benefits your customer, but it also creates an opportunity for future business. I would also say with the real estate professional, we have an app called Fidelity Agent App. That app is so useful for dollars and cents, preliminary when you go on a listing appointment, and also throughout the transaction. But partnering one to help the transactions go well, but also to help create future relationships and to create more business opportunities together. Yeah, that's for me, I coach this. Um, and it was very beneficial for me in my career when, when I got started. Networking with title 
reps, right? Right. Title sales reps, mar uh, marketing reps, whatever their title may be, account executives, et cetera. Their job is my job, right. right? Their job is to go out and build partnerships with real estate agents by bringing value. Right. My job as a loan officer is to go out into the market and build real relationships with real estate agents and bring them value. Right. Well, if Jesse with Fidelity or Susan with Fidelity is out there doing it, and I'm doing it, there's some synergies to be had there. Right. Why not cross-pollinate? Right. Why not work together and I can introduce Susan to my group of realtors and Susan can introduce me to the, theirs. We can look for, for some synergies, but I need to partner with a title company who is business-minded like me. Someone that I get along with, someone that the way they operate is how I want to operate. And I think any loan officer should be out there and, and they should have one up to two. Right. right. You should I say you, one. I'd say if it's fidelity, you just need one. That's if it's fidelity, you, you just need one. Um, you know, I would probably coach someone to, to have two because I'm big into personality matching. Right. Uh, I really am. And, and there's certain things that I may do with one particular sales rep that I don't think I could do with the other in terms of an event right. or a marketing well, uh, campaign. Well, do this. Make sure that there's enough depth and substance in the operation that they can. So, for instance, Alyssa and Giselle are partnering on some things. Giselle is um, new to our team. She speaks Spanish. She brings a lot to the table. She's worked with property management, has done a lot of things. Alyssa's been with our company for a long time, doesn't speak Spanish. So those two together, how powerful at an event. Okay. So also work with a company that has um, a enough diversity yeah. within their own organization. Depth, depth, depth. and reach. Right, yeah. and substance. So I'd say that too. It's not just about the networking. It's the substance that the person has and then the team standing behind them. And I will tell you this, that if there's a sales executive or business development person, Dustin, that doesn't talk about the escrow team behind them, they're not. There you go. I like that. You don't Look, partner with them. I love it. Let's end there. Right. Let's end there. This has been an amazing episode full of knowledge. Like I'm going to have to go back, which I hardly ever do and actually rewatch this yes. and listen to it because my head was spinning. I don't have a piece of paper. I don't have notes. Um, if you've made it this far <laughs> and you didn't have a piece of paper, didn't have notes, guess what? You too get to go back and listen to this. Right. Where can you listen to it? On Spotify, on Apple podcast, or really anywhere you find podcasts. If you don't like listening, you prefer watching. Awesome. Go to YouTube. We are on YouTube at the Loan Officer Podcast. We're on Facebook at the Loan Officer Podcast. Susan, guess where we are on Instagram? The pod. The Loan at, Officer. At, at the Loan, at, the at the loan Officer, officer podcast. podcast. LinkedIn at the Loan Officer Podcast. Or you can hook up with me on LinkedIn. Ask me that again. Hey, Susan, where can you find us on Instagram? At the Loan Officer Podcast. Where can you find me on uh, LinkedIn? At the Loan Officer Podcast. You can also find Dustin Owen, the individual. And you can find Susan West, the individual, on LinkedIn if you want to connect with us. Absolutely. If you have if you have questions regarding title, if you need to be introduced to a really good title rep in your market, right. I'm pretty sure, Susan, after 28 years with Fidelity, I bet you know a couple people. Absolutely. I bet if you're listening in right now in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, California, New Mexico, or Illinois, I bet you know someone. Did I say nation's number one insurer? Absolutely. There you go. She's Susan West. I'm Dustin Owen. You've been tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, please share us like us. We're just getting started. We'll be on TikTok next week and we're going to have our own web domain launched by June. Nice. Susan, thank you very much. That's all the time we have. Peace.